Hello, my Rebels. Today, a feature-length interview with Arthur Pavlovsky, the Christian pastor who has been arrested 16 times in the last two and a half years because he dared to keep his church open. He was jailed. He was thrown in solitary confinement. He was arrested at gunpoint by police. I don't know if they were pointing their guns at him, but they had a SWAT team-style takedown of him. And he had a major victory in the Alberta Court of Appeal last week. We'll talk to him about that and what's next. But before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. You get a lot of stuff from the video version you don't see just in the podcast, obviously. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's only eight bucks a month, which I, I can't even, every time I say that, I can't believe we're selling a monthly pass for eight bucks. That's half the price of Netflix. You get my weeknight show. So that's 16 episodes a month. Plus we have four weekly shows. Sorry, I did my math wrong. You got 20 episodes of my show plus 16 episodes of the other shows. That's 36 shows a month for eight bucks. Why are we giving it away? I don't know. I'd be grateful if you subscribed. Not only is it great content, but that's how we stay independent, you know, because we don't take any money from Trudeau. It's at rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a feature interview with Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, fresh off his tremendous victory at the Alberta Court of Appeal. It's July 25th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Stand back. Okay? Or what? Stand You're back. gonna threaten me and abuse me? Guys, do not do that. Tell him not to touch me. Six feet away for everybody. That's for everybody. If you are a regular viewer of this show or indeed of our YouTube channel, you will recognize that. That is in the very early days of the pandemic. You could see it was still snowing in spring of 2020 in Calgary. Police came upon Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky doing what he has done for decades, actually, feeding the hungry in Calgary, not just any hungry, because there are soup kitchens and and homeless shelters, but these are the lowliest of the low, who in some cases aren't even allowed into homeless shelters. It was a cold day. He was feeding them, and these cops came up to Arthur and his team, physically pushed them, gave them a massive ticket, and claimed they were engaging in an illegal gathering. So they called it, and thus began a series of abusive vendettas, really, that led to more than 16 arrests of Arthur Pavlovsky and his brother David, 
nearly two months in prison, various convictions for health orders, and a most bizarre and un-Canadian sentence put upon him by a liberal-appointed judge named Adam Germain, a judge who said that not only was Arthur Pavlovsky banned from traveling outside Alberta, no more speaking tours for him, but any time Arthur Pavlovsky would give a sermon in his church, do a media interview on TV, even make a Facebook post, he would then have to immediately break out this little script, handwritten by the judge himself, in which Arthur would have to denounce and renounce himself, and in fact, instead read the judge's version of the truth, an unscientific, personal diary-style essay by the judge. It was outrageous. It was two years of harassment and vengeance by the Calgary police and the RCMP and the prosecutors from the Department of Justice and prosecutors from the Alberta Health Services. I estimate that more than $2 million was spent targeting Arthur Pavlovsky alone, let alone the other clergy in Alberta. I say this because I know a little something about the amount of money that has gone into defending Arthur Pavlovsky, and make no mistake about it, had Rebel News viewers not crowdfunded a determined two-and-a-half-year legal battle, we would not have had the ultimate victory that we had on Friday. When the highest court in Alberta, the Alberta Court of Appeal, three judges unanimously ruled that the entire legal basis for all of the arrests and the harassment and the highway SWAT team-style takedown of Arthur that happened more than once, that the legal basis of all of it was built on sand, that there was no basis for Arthur having been served with this order and that the order didn't apply to him and that the order was vague and that anything coming from that poison tree, the fruits of that poison tree, were themselves poisoned and none of the arrests and imprisonment and punishments were valid. And indeed, the Justice Adam Germain's bizarre compelled speech provision was not only of no force and effect, but that it was a, it was a violation, a contradiction of our Charter of Rights and Freedoms and that the government, in fact, had to give back every penny in fines that Arthur and his brother David had paid, and in fact, that the government had to pay for the cost of the appeal itself. I don't know how they'll compensate Arthur for his two months in prison, much of it in solitary confinement. The, the fines that are being returned to him are a symbolic gesture, but they do nothing to compensate the man. And we have the man on the line right now, the man of the hour, the only man who has had a substantial and significant victory over what the Court of Appeal says was an illegal lockdown provision. I'm talking about pa Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. Arthur, great to see you again. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me in. It's always a pleasure. And I just want to use this opportunity again, Ezra. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, your viewers, the people, the good people around the world that chipped in and uh, helped us to face the giants of the land, because that's exactly what we have been facing in the past two and a half years. 
the giants, the Goliaths, the uncircumcised, if you will, Philistines in this land, uh, haters of freedom, haters of democracy, like uh, Jason Kenney, like Chandra or Copping or the boys from the Sky Palace hypocrisy. So thanks to you, and you're absolutely right. I don't think I would be able to fight them. The arrests, the massive fines, and the constant ongoing harassment. Um, I've counted once in our church service over 100 police officers and 52 police cars, including SWAT team and a chief of police. Like how one man or little church can fight something like this without the support of someone like you that was willing to tell the other side of the story and the people that are watching Rebel News and were willing to say, this is a fight worth fighting and we are willing to chip in so i thank you so much for being able uh, for for being part of that journey with me and being able to chip in and um, you know um, whatever you did for me to be able to stand up and, and say hey to the dead i'm not willing to bow to the establishment what they're doing is wrong and i escaped such a atrocities um, in Poland, and I'm not going to allow them uh, for my children or for my, me, myself to relive uh, through this. So thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I say that on my own behalf. I say that on behalf of our rebel journalists. I, I was counting it up. I think seven different journalists have worked with you over the course of time. Adam Sos, Sheila Gunn-Reed. In fact, the very first reporter was Kian Bexty, who's now an alumna alumnus, excuse me, of Rebel News. So it's been a story I think we've covered about a hundred times. And that's part of the battle too, because the mainstream media would either ignore what was done to you or defame and ridicule you. I remember, I think it was the CBC that actually tried to call you racist. It was the most absurd, absurd smear. And, and I did see some very perfunctory reports on Friday after the Alberta Court of Appeal, but you would think that the mainstream media that either ignored you, saying, oh, he had it coming, oh, he deserved it, oh, he's just a criminal, I don't care if he's a pastor, he has to follow the law. So all their excuses for not covering it, and those who did cover it, they smeared you. On Friday, we had the resolution of all of that, and the Court of Appeal said, no, he wasn't a criminal, he did nothing wrong. You would think that, that they ought to write how the story ended, but I saw just tiny snippets in the media party. Most of them ignored it because they preferred their lies to the truth that came out. So I think there is a journalistic side to this, not just the legal side to it. I'm very proud of what our Rebel News reporters have done. They're citizen journalists. Like, I mean, none of these uh, folks, and they're often quite young, who've been interviewing you, none of them went to journalism school, Arthur. They're just regular people with a cell phone camera who ask questions and publish the truth. It's really gross to me that the powerful government-funded media either ignored the story or lied about it. And how else can you describe what they've done? That's, that's what they've done. Yeah, thank God, Ezra, they didn't, they didn't go to the journalistic school. I mean, if they would, they would probably work for CBC propaganda machinery of uh, you know, Adolf Trudeau, uh, Castro, whatever we want to call him, or uh, Jason Kenney, the traitor to Alberta, the traitor that we uh, believed at first that he's going to come and, and, and defend us. I remember the stories when he showed up, uh, the 
people were calling him the savior of Alberta. And it turned out he was one of the deadliest snakes that was biting our freedom um, alongside uh, federal government and the municipal governments uh, trying to destroy us uh, the way uh, of our lives, the the industry. Uh, it's, it's just a shocking thing. I remember when the mainstream media called me a terrorist. Hmm. I was terrorizing my neighborhood. Hmm. Why? In the explanation, they said, because we refuse to wear a mask. And I'm all for science, Ezra. Mm -hmm. I do follow science. I love biology. I have spent four months in the United States sitting, dining, spending time with biologists and scientists, a real scientist, a real doctors. So I ask many questions. I said, please explain it to me. Will the piece of cloth on my mouth protect me from a virus. And every single one of them would say, well, Art, a virus is 1,000 times smaller than a bacteria. Nothing like this will ever protect you from this thing coming in or going out. So I started to ask questions. Why then I have to wear that piece of cloth? And of course, history. I love history. I teach history uh, and I teach theology. And historically speaking, a mask was always a symbol of slavery. Mm. And here is what they were trying to tell us on the global scale. You have no identity. Mm -hmm. We are taking away your identity. It doesn't matter um, who you were before that. It didn't. It does not matter if you were a son of a prince. Um, historically speaking, when Afro Americans were kidnapped from Africa, taken to uh, to the North America, they would put iron masks on their faces uh, for that reason you don't mean anymore uh your name doesn't mean anything uh, your background uh, it, it doesn't matter who your father was now you're just a number you're just a social insurance number and also what that means is we don't care what you have to say your mm -hmm. voice doesn't matter anymore and that's exactly what i observed it was a, a, like a repetition of history for me unfolding in front of my eyes and i said this is wrong on so many levels and of course when they came after our children mm -hmm. when they came after our children i knew god we are in a big trouble they're not going to just try to hurt us but they are just like stalin did just like adolf hitler did with um with the you know with the children um, uh, craziness. Um, um, what was the name? The Jungen. Um, yeah, the Hitler Jugend. You know the, the children. Um, and he always said that if you get the children, uh, you've got the nation. And it was so clear to me. And people have been criticizing me uh, before. Of course, after this victory, I, <laughs> Ezra, I had phone calls from politicians and texts, and the politicians, known politicians to us. Uh, would say, that's a great victory. We always were cheering for Pastor Art and we were always on board and we were praying for him, including Travis Taves. Hmm. Believe it or not, hmm. Travis Taves uh, puts a tweet and says that he was always, always hmm. disturbed by what was happening to the pastors and shutting down. But he the was a cabinet minister of the government that prosecuted you. How can he? How, how can he say that when he was, if he really was opposed to it, he should have said something in public or resigned from cabinet. Am I right? Is it the same Travis Taves? That's right. And more than that, he was the one that was caught uh, breaking the same rules and regulations and their own mandates, which um, I had to be taken in a El Chapo, Al Capone, Escobar style takedown. 
in the middle of the highway for my crime of inciting people to come to church and mm -hmm. participating in a church service and officiating an illegal gathering. That's the same guy that I met about three weeks ago uh, face to face. And I said to him, listen, um, what you did to me is unbelievable. Can you tell me why you did this to me right. and why you're still persecuting me, your right. government? And he looked in, at me and he said, uh, in the behalf of Albertans, I apologize to what happened to you. I said, but that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. You have to call a press mm -hmm. and you have to tell them what is going on with mm -hmm. me. The atrocity that you have implemented on me, my family, my friends, my mm -hmm. brother, David, his wife, my parents right. is yeah. wrong. And he says, well, that's the thing. I cannot do that. So let I, me, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just want to get one more piece of information. So this is Travis Taves, cabinet minister. Did he say this to you privately? Was this on the phone or in person? When he said, I apologize to you. There's some value there, even if it's a uh, a late apology, even if it's not sincere. Was this a private apology? Like, was anyone else there? Was this at an event? Because I, I would think it was a public offense to you, and there ought to be a public apology, a sneaky private apology to incur your, you know, to assuage you personally, feels like um, a form of deception. Where was this that he said this? When was this that he said this? I was invited to a rodeo uh, with my friends uh, to Innisfil, and he was one of the um, government officials um, doing speeches. So uh, when I saw him standing there, I just went and he got scared. He really got scared. Huh. He thought I'm going to start yelling and screaming and maybe attack him in, in some way. But I just wanted to ask him that simple question. Why yeah. have you done this to me? Like, please, can you yeah. explain why? Yeah. What was the reason? And that's where uh, he kind of started to back paddle and, and he yeah. says, I apologize. Yeah. And, and when I said to him, um, that's not good enough. Your yeah. government yeah. did this to me and you're still doing this to yeah. me. It's not over yeah. for me. I'm right. still on house arrest. I'm still facing criminal charges uh, for me just simply being pastor and feeding the poor. As you know, Ezra, I'm still facing a $100,000 ticket mm -hmm. for feeding homeless during mm -hmm. this craziness. And then he says, well, it's, in, it's before the courts and I cannot come and I cannot <laughs> do anything else. And yet he's running for the leadership of UCP party as we speak right now. And then he tweets this uh, craziness that he was always cheering for me. He was always on board and uh, he's very glad that the court of appeal did the right thing. I mean, it's insanity. insanity. It's like schizophrenia yeah. at, on the highest levels yeah. because it's them. And then you've got Jason Kenny meeting with the Pope, pretending he's good, you know, altar boy, yeah. um, uh, you know, in favor of religious freedoms. And yeah. yet I'm still on house arrest facing criminal charges yeah. for nothing. Jason Kenny once was on the side of religious freedom, but he shut down more churches and arrested more pastors using the pandemic as an excuse. He did that more than even communist China did. You know, yes. it's funny, you were talking about um, the excuse of this Tory cabinet minister for why I can't say this publicly. By the way, on Friday, I got some text messages from another Tory cabinet minister saying the same thing. Oh, Ezra, you know me, I'm always for freedom. Well, why are you telling me this in a private text? Why don't you make a public statement? Oh, well, I can't. Well, here's Jason Kenney. Here's a clips of Jason Kenney. While your case was before the courts, and, and of course, your case still is before the courts, speaking very specifically, he had no problem condemning you 
accusing you of inciting violence incredibly. Here's Jason Kenney with no compunction about condemning you while it was before the courts. Take a look at this. Hey there, Superstar with Rebel News. Um, I'm not sure if my question would be best directed towards you, uh, but right now, of course, you're investing in religious infrastructure. But I think many around the province have the a concern that you may not be uh, best protecting their religious freedoms, as we've seen with Pastor Arthur Pulowski. Uh, he still remains behind bars. This is well over 30 days. Uh, if you could just comment on that situation and maybe uh, perhaps ease some concerns or just uh, give some light to that situation. So in, in Canada, we have something called the rule of law, where courts are responsible for adjudicating uh, criminal charges against individuals, not politicians. So uh, we have an independent judiciary. Uh, that individual, I understand, uh, has been uh, detained under uh, uh, by the police because of multiple breaches of terms of release, uh, court orders, uh, as well as uh, an incitement to an alleged incitement to violence. Uh, at the Coots border crossing blockade. And so uh, that individual has all of the rights of any individual uh, under the Canadian legal system. Uh, they are presumed uh, guilty and, sorry, excuse me, presumed innocent until proven guilty, of course, in our system of law. And uh, they have a right to access to counsel. Uh, they have all of the, that individual or any other individual has all of the same legal rights as anybody. So this is a matter that is before the courts. Um, and, um, uh, you know, as, as, as a more general comment, um, I would just suggest that going to a very tense combustible situation and uh, inciting people to be willing to die and commit acts of violence uh, for their cause is uh, um, very likely to have legal consequences. And I would suggest that, uh, you know, nobody is, uh, is above the law. No politician, no... Um, person that calls himself a pastor is above the law. The rule of law applies equally to everybody in our system of the rule of law. You know, what? I I think that Friday was a great victory for you. And I want to talk more about the case you have going on. I want to talk a little more about a few things. But let me put this to you. I mean, I was thinking about your case because you were the very first case that we decided to help during the pandemic because you were the first one to be harassed that I saw. And it's turned into such a massive case. And your lawyer, Sarah Miller, has really, like, she's, and there's other lawyers, too. I, I think that she's very bright. I mean, I, I haven't worked with her as closely as you have. Um, and, and here's what I thought. You know, we've probably done 100 stories about it. And we've probably done 100 emails to Albertans. And we've done videos and the court cases. And we even had billboards. I don't know if you know that. But on Highway 2, between Calgary and Edmonton, we have billboards. And here's my theory. And I'm, I'm not saying this to gloat. It's the opposite of gloating. It's it's why this case is important and why Albertans care about this case, even if they're not Christian, even if they even if they disagree with you. The fact that you were jailed and hunted like some Al Capone, and I think we did ten million impressions or views about your story, and and because it was newsworthy, it was an important story, and we did emails and billboards and. And when Jason Kenney had his leadership review a few months ago, he got just over 50%. And he decided that that was not enough to continue, and he was correct. I think he should have left immediately, by the way. Yeah. It is my belief that the economy, you know, it's on some people's mind. The handling of the pandemic in general is on some people's mind. But I think the thing that caused his own party members to feel betrayed by him 
was his punitive approach to you and the other churches that was unique in the Western world. I know of no other province or even country that decided to drill into churches in the way he did. And I believe that that probably cost him 20% in his leadership contest poll. And that's the difference between him getting 70 or 75% support or 51% or whatever it was. I believe that he lost the premiership over his persecution of Christians. And so I look at your vindication by the Court of Appeal. I think, who are the winners? Well, you are, and the rule of law and the Charter of Rights, and your lawyer was successful, and the donors were successful. You're the biggest winner, of course, but Adam Germain was disgraced and discredited by the court, and Jason T. Kenney. His premiership was cut off, and and everything he said about you was rebuked by the court. He is the biggest loser in this whole fight. And he deserves to lose because I no one else in the world persecuted Christians like he did. And it's so strange coming from his background. Yes, it is. It's, it's a shocker um, because I remember when he was uh, in a federal politics, he was known as the defender of religious liberties. And to face this hammer, this harassment, this persecution and prosecution from that man, it was a shocker. I'm not uh, entirely sure why he decided to do that. I have my own theory, either blackmail or, or bribery, or I don't know. It's her saying, and it's a speculation at this moment, why he chose this approach. But I, uh, I agree with you. I think it cost him his position. And uh, it's very interesting when I was handcuffed and they put chain on my legs and I was taken, kidnapped from Calgary to Edmonton for no reason whatsoever and placed in a max pot and then the psych ward and uh, against the the knowledge of the HS and the doctors. And they said they cannot do that stuff. Like we didn't even know that you were transferred here. But when I was there in with the sheriffs in a car, I saw the billboard you put together oh. right there. When I was chained and when I was locked, handcuffed, I looked through the window when I was going to Edmonton and I saw that billboard. And it, I'm telling you, Ezra, it cheered me up. Huh. On the way back a week later, when they were transferring me back to Calgary, I specifically looked for that billboard because I knew it's there because I saw it on the way to Edmonton and I saw it. And the inmates that were there with me in different uh, compartments, um, they look at me <laughs> and they said, aren't you that pastor that gets arrested all the time? And I said, well, guilty as charged. Yeah, and they you. started to to yell and they said like, wow, we are with celebrity and, ah. and you're our hero. What you did wow. was amazing. We read about you in jail and this and that. And it's so fascinating because that's exactly what, what happened everywhere I went. In Calgary, as you know, I turned my entire unit into a church services. Hmm. Every person from my unit was attending my church services and prayer meetings. When I was taken to Edmonton, I did the same thing. I had a number of inmates joining me. And everywhere I went, people recognized my face. 
And that's thanks to you, Ezra. It's well, you're giving me too much praise, but I, I thank you for that. But I'm deeply touched to hear that you were ministering even in prison. And I think there's a great Christian tradition of that, finding these lost souls, people who have gone astray, some of them probably in there in, inappropriately, some of them, frankly, belong in there, but all of them needing some help spiritually, emotionally. Maybe they're there because terrible things have happened to them their whole lives. And for them to look to you uh, in prison with them as a source of hope, that is deeply touching to me. And, uh, and that's a beautiful story, actually. Yeah, it was incredible how those people were drawn to me. Um, everyone knew I'm there for political reasons. I was truly, and I'm still on house arrest, I am truly a political prisoner. I've done nothing wrong. Those people, you're right, some of them were bank robbers, murderers. Some of them were there because of uh, heavy drug trafficking or assaults. Some serious crimes they have committed, but hope. It's commodity that everyone desperately needs. That's why you need clergymen. That's why you need churches. That's why we are essential services. A lot more than Walmart, a yeah. lot more than Safeway, a lot more than liquor store or marijuana yeah. store or abortion yeah. clinic. We are truly essential uh, services. And, and I, it truly showed wherever I went. I had guards coming to me privately. Praying with me, thanking me for standing up also for them and their children. So it's, it, it is an incredible story. And I, I again, thanks to you, the story, uh, people were able to hear what's really going on because the mainstream propaganda was not willing to tell people what's really uh, is going on. They preferred to lie about me, like calling me xenophobe, hearing my accent and yeah. calling me a racist, <laughs> knowing crazy. that I have orphanages in Africa and I traveled in Barbados and other places where they have a black population and i i have half of the people colored in my church i've got native native americans i've got asians chinese i've got uh, people from jamaica i got Af africans in our church like i don't care yeah. about your color of your skin i don't care about your creed or your background or your language if you're coming to the church to a pastor you're welcome if you're standing in my lineups you're welcome yeah. you will yeah. hear the message you don't have to but that's what I do. I'm a pastor. I preach, of course. But I will feed you because my God loves everyone. And Ezra, I want to tell you something on the record. I don't hate my enemies. I don't hate Jason Kenny. I will sometimes sharply speak about them. I'll challenge them sharply. Yes. But I don't hate my enemies. I pity them because what they have done is so fundamentally evil. Evil. I... I would not want to be them when one day they're going to face my God, mm -hmm. a God, a judge that doesn't take any bribe. I, would, I wouldn't want to be them. Yeah. Well, I had a conversation for almost an hour with your lawyer, Sarah Miller, the other day. And what I like about Sarah Miller is she, I mean, you, you're full of passion and emotion. Uh, and uh, she is a little bit more cool, so to speak. She's cooler than me. Like, I'm a little hot on this subject, too. And she went in legally, analytically. And I think she she doesn't share all of our ideology, but I think that makes her a sharper advocate. Uh, I, I really feel like she's done a great job. And I know she's working on a number of cases for you. You mentioned you're still under house arrest. There are still more prosecutions. 
So Sarah is still working on those. It's very interesting to me, given the rebuke by the Court of Appeal unanimously for how you've been treated, for the for the provincial government, they could drop all these cases in a second. They could stay the proceedings, to use a technical word. They're spending millions of dollars prosecuting you. They could stop that in a second. They could say it's not in the public interest. They could say he's already served almost two months in prison. There's all these charges still outstanding against you. For them to proceed against those, against you in those charges, in the face of this overwhelming court of appeal ruling, would show, in my mind, an obsession, a vendetta, that they're out for revenge. I hope they don't do it. Maybe it's too early to get any indication. It would be wonderful if they dropped the charges. I mean, you've been punished enough. Do you think they're going to keep after you, even in the face of this court of appeal ruling? You know, Ezra, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I wish, just like you and every other normal person that loves freedom and loves the rule of law like I do, I, you know, I would wish that they would just move on. But you know and I know, and many people that have been following the story, we know this is personal. I've embarrassed them with the get out video that was watched over a billion times. Mm. I went to United States warning Americans, if mm. Canada falls, you're next. We're truly living right now behind the Iron Curtain with Justin Trudeau and Jason Kenney's type. So you better put your house in order or else. So for that, for that alone, I'm hated by the establishment. It's a personal thing. When I was in prison and I was listening to the Crown Prosecutor, I just wanted to start crying, telling you the truth, because I was portrayed as an extreme villain, evil, dangerous individual. Ezra, I've never been charged with assault. I've never been charged with any crime except crime, according to them, that is attached to me doing my job as a pastor. And I was portrayed as this villain, this mastermind that uh, is to get and murder Canadians. And he got away with that. And he even lied about what really happened in Kutz at the border. He said, I went into my luxury vehicle while... Everyone knows I don't have a luxury vehicle. That was my son's 15-year-old car. Yeah, it's a BMW, but it's worth $6,000. That's not a luxury vehicle. I drive 2007 Dodge Dodge Caravan, which is half broken, and I still have my track, 2001 Dodge Dodge um, uh, Ram track, um, which has like 400,000 kilometers. I put everything on a line for my church, for my faith, for my God, and for Canadians. I love this nation. Do you know, Ezra, I'm the only one in my neighborhood with a Canadian flag to this day? In front of my house, there is a Canadian flag. Why? Why do I keep it? I could take it down and put something else, but I keep it because I love my country. I love Canada. I love Alberta. I cherish Alberta and the notion of freedom the idea of freedom to come to this new world and work hard and achieve something and pass it on to my children and hopefully they will pass it to my grandchildren, their children. This idea of a world without persecution, a world that you can work hard and 
achieve something beautiful is dear to me because that's what I was not given when I was growing up. I grew up in hell behind the Iron Curtain. We escaped the Soviet's boots only to find ourselves being persecuted right now. And I'm telling you, Ezra, I'm not running away. I had offers from Americans. They would uh, give me houses. They would give me churches. They would give me salary like uh, beyond my imagination even. They were saying, come to America. You are like American. Uh, we, we love you. Uh, we want you to come. And I said, I cannot. I cannot for the sake of my children, for the sake of the children in Canada. I cannot. I have to go back. I have to fight. I have to face those giants of the land. Because if we are going to start running away, I already did that from Poland. And I will not run away this is my alamo if you will peacefully of course mm -hmm. and this is my home this is where my children were born and and i'm willing to stand up all the way to the end so i wish they would drop the charges i wish they would do the right thing after this huge enormous victory uh, but i would not be surprised if they would still pursue uh, this harassment because the worst thing that you can do a politician is to touch his ego mm -hmm. they truly believed in the past two and a half years that they are the pharaohs and you're the slaves and now suddenly this moses comes in a slave and nobody in their eyes and dares to challenge them saying let my people go that's yeah. unacceptable to them well, let me ask you one more question, and it's something I've thought about because I'm, I'm Jewish and, and I occasionally go to synagogue. I am unaware of any mainstream Jewish synagogues that stayed open. Now, a lot of very religious Orthodox synagogues stayed open sort of very quietly under the radar, and I understand that some Muslim mosques stayed open very quietly under the radar. Most Christian churches, especially the mainline churches, the United Church, as it's called, other churches like that, closed. Even some Catholic churches, they went all online with Zoom. And there were very few churches that said, no, we need to meet in person. We need to have the sense of community. We need to minister to people in person. Um, in Alberta, there were maybe a half a dozen churches who did that. Pastor Coates from the, the Grace Life Church, uh, Pastor Stevens in Calgary. And Boy, did Kenny come down on them. But my question for you is, why was there no solidarity? In fact, I saw some churches denounce you. I saw some churches denounce you and the other pastors saying you should obey Caesar. I was shocked by that. I had hoped that some Sikh temples and Jewish synagogues and Muslim mosques would have said, Stop picking on Arthur. I didn't see that. I had expected that some Christian churches would have stood by you. Silence or condemnation? Maybe I missed it, but I think that most churches bent the knee to Teresa Tam and Anthony Fauci. That's their new religious figure. What do you say to that? 100% I agree with you. I mean, shame on them. 
shame on the clergymen that they have chosen a bowl of soup like Ezab. In the Bible, it says that Ezab I hated, but Jacob I adore, I accepted. Why? Because Ezab was willing to sell his inheritance, what was rightfully his, for a bowl of soup. And that's exactly what those pastors and those priests did. They received millions upon millions of dollars as incentive to do this to other people. Also, we they have betrayed just like Judas Iscariot for uh, for a silver coin, mm -hmm. and there is also fear. We are um, experiencing right now a repetition of history where there is a great separation between between the real, so the goats and the sheep, and the sheep and the wolves. What we are witnessing right now is that in front of our eyes we can tell who is a real shepherd of God's people. A real shepherd is willing to die to defend the sheep against the wolves and as I call it, hyenas. We are commanded to do that because we are the followers of the great shepherd, which is God himself that died on the cross and rose from the grave for us in our behalf. So what we are witnessing right now is, a, is the greatest treachery to our faith and to our God ever seen on this side of eternity, I believe. They've chosen to take the silver coin or the bowl of soup if you will, and keep quiet for the incentives to keep coming. Also, they didn't want to pay the price. And I think that's a big part. They would look at my story. They would look at the fences around Coast Church or, or Stevens or others like Tobias Thiessen or Hildebrand, others that were without mercy hammered in this country. And they said, do I want to be another Artopoulosky? And they've chosen no. It's better to obey the devil than to obey God. And for that, Ezra, they will pay. This is not the game. This is life and death. And either you believe in your book or don't bother. Yeah. You cannot just our pick and choose our belief some, but not everything. Yeah. doesn't work that way. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Just yeah. because you go to a church, uh, it doesn't turn you into a Christian. The same way you can be born you can be every single day in McDonald's. It will never turn you into a Big Mac. The same way you can go to a church all your life. You can go to a synagogue all your life. It will not turn you into a believer because you have to truly believe. If you believe, then you will act on that belief. So if I believe that my God is telling me, feed the poor, if I truly believe that, which I do, mm -hmm. I'll keep feeding the poor even if the whole world says, don't do it. Yeah. If I believe that God says, do not forsake the gatherings of the saints. If I truly believe that book, I will not forsake the gatherings of the saints. And I didn't. And look at me, two months of imprisonment, harassment, intimidation, and hammered without mercy by mainstream media and the politicians, AHS, and, and, the, and the, you know, the crown prosecutors, so on. So we are witnessing right now greatest separation between the real and the fake god is shaking the fence if you will and there were many people cruising uh sitting comfortable watching the view sitting on the fence and god says enough enough of sitting on the fence you gotta choose either you are real or you're fake yeah. if you're real you're going to stand up by your conviction that's how you know mm -hmm. if people truly believe and and uh, yeah it's a shame shame on them but it's not over. They still can come back to the right side and they can still uh, do what God commands them uh, to do. So I want to extend that invitation to everyone that failed, that become Judas Iscariot, because Peter also failed, denied Jesus three times, and yet Jesus restored him back. And we know that Apostle Peter was 
one of the greatest apostles of all times, and he paid it with his own life, being crucified upside down. So it's not over until God says it's over. I just want to say to you, if you're a clergyman, then if you truly believe in your faith, then stand up for your faith and come to the defense of people like like me and, and others like me that we were willing to defend your faith. We were willing to defend your right to gather in your synagogues or mosques or temples and churches. Hmm. And that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, very powerful. Well, I, uh, I can tell you that good things have come from your fight. You have set an example for millions of people, tens of millions of people, or as you say in that clip, get out, that very dramatic clip, hundreds of millions of people, perhaps even more. Um, the Fight the Fines campaign that we originally started for you has grown. We created an entire independent charity called the Democracy Fund, which actually now represents 2,000 people, none as high profile as you, none as complicated as your uh, case, but many good things have come from it. And although it was a painful lesson for you to teach on pain of imprisonment, I think people have seen things and their eyes have been opened. And let me just tell you, on behalf of Rebel News, we have found meaning from covering the story. We believe we have served our viewers by showing them the other side of the story. And we pledge to continue to crowdfund the cost of your lawyers in perpetuity. And I don't say that lightly because I know you've been harassed by the law Actually, for many years before we even engaged with you, we've been on your, with your case now, I think since March of 2020. So it's almost two and a half years, and we're not done. This could theoretically go on for another year, just the existing battles you have. So I pledge that we will continue to ask our viewers to help fight the fight. As, as Sarah Miller, your lawyer, pointed out to me the other day, no normal human can fight a two-year battle in, like it, it really, it, it it's the system is so uphill. The system is so unfair, but you showed personal resolve, like a like a rock, like carbon under pressure becoming a diamond. The harder they persecuted you, the stronger you were. So let me close by thanking you for the personal courage. It's one thing to do journalism. It's another thing to crowdfund. And those are all important, but none of us had to sleep on a concrete slab in solitary confinement. None of us were arrested in a rainy street by a SWAT team and dragged to an unknown future. So we, we slept comfortably in our own beds. And, and while people chipped in money, and I do not demean that in any way that was essential, and while Sarah did good lawyering, and I don't demean that in any way, at the end of the day, you were the essential man who paid for it, if I may say so as a Jew, in a Christ-like way sacrificing your own body for your beliefs and showing that self-sacrifice. And I hope I'm not blaspheming or, or getting my theology wrong, but there was something about your willingness to suffer personally for the cause that is deeply inspirational, even to non-believers, I think. And so I thank you for that, and I pledge on behalf of our company and on behalf of the Charity of the Democracy Fund and on behalf of our many viewers I pledge to continue to doing 
what we are doing to support you. It's the least we can do given the sacrifices you have borne. So thank you for what you've done over the last two and a half years and what you continue to do. And thank you for your encouraging words. And, and may you continue to be victorious. Thank you, Ezra, so much. And I want to tell you that it's, it, it, I take this with a great humbleness that my story, story of my family, my brother, can contribute in some little way into this democracy fund that 2,000 people, I, I can't even grasp those numbers that I can have at least a little bit part in being able to support Rebel and say to people, please chip in if you can. Because even though we had this major victory now, there's more to come and there are thousands of people that are facing, facing illegal harassment and tickets. So if you can help, help. And I'm greatly humbled that I can be part of this. I mean, this is our story. This is our Canadian story. And we, we're just small part of that story. And I'm very grateful that I can be part of that story. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your time today. And we'll keep in touch. I know we will. So many of our viewers care about this story a lot. So we wish you all the best. And enjoy the vindication that comes from Alberta's highest court. Thanks, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. There you have it. Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, and if you yourself want to chip in, feel free to go to SaveArthur.com, and that will lead you to the Democracy Fund website, and you can get a charitable tax receipt. Stay with us. My final thoughts are next. he's a very interesting man. I was almost uncomfortable with how much praise he was heaping upon Rebel News. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for his kind words, and I do accept that we've made a difference. Maybe I talk too much about Rebel News' role, but I, I actually think that, you know, the old saying, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear, it doesn't make a sound. That's a very Zen question. But if a pastor is thrown in prison and no one cares, if a church is shut down and no one reports about it, if the only reportage in the mainstream media is either silence or to denounce the man, a story might end very differently. I actually do believe that this is the story of the year. I do believe it is the proximate reason why Jason Kenney was thrown out as party leader. I think it's also the first time in any major Canadian ruling that, uh, that an excessive lockdown rule was rebuked. I can't think of any other emanation of the lockdown, whether it was the curfew in Quebec or the anti-gathering rules in Alberta or the vaccine mandate in BC or the forced um, terms injected into collective bargaining for unions across the country. I think it's the first real uh, legal victory. So it's important for that reason. And and Rebel News viewers obviously had a role to play in it. Rebel News journalists obviously had a role to play in it. But as I said to Arthur, Nothing happens without the man himself willing to be arrested on the street and sleep on a concrete slab in solitary confinement. As you can see, it doesn't seem to have dampened his enthusiasm. He really is an interesting fellow. And uh, I think his Polish background may be a, a reason for that. I don't know if you know your history. I don't know my history that well. But I know enough about Poland to know that it fights, whether it's Jan Sobieski and 1683, saving the West, really, at the Siege of Vienna, or Pope John Paul II, who went into communist Poland and said, be not afraid. And he told the people in that Soviet 
dominated country to stand up and to believe in something greater than the Soviet Union. And they did. They did. His open air mass with more than a million polls where he said, don't be afraid anymore. And they stopped being afraid. And before long, the Soviet Union fell. I think that that history of resistance in the Polish people, uh, you can see that in him. And it takes someone like that to buck the system, to be a nonconformist, someone who knows the the deep price of conformity in a totalitarian regime. I enjoyed our conversation the other day on the live stream with Sarah Miller, the lawyer fighting for Pastor Arthur. Uh, this battle will not be over soon. You heard him say there's a lot of other charges proceeding against him, and I think the government wants to get a win on the board. I think they want to prosecute him even harder to try and vindicate the fact and validate and justify their abuses over the last two years, because right now they're looking like a shambles. We'll keep you posted on that. Anyways, listen, it's a very interesting case, isn't it? And I, it really is the signature battle for Rebel News, so much so that it created this entire spin-off charity, the democracyfund.ca, that has allowed us to help 2,000 other people. It's really remarkable. And uh, it comes down to one man being a contrarian, a dissident, refusing to bend the knee. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom like Art does. Sheila Gunn-Reed for Rebel News, and I'm not sure anybody would get all that excited about going for a drink with former Environment Minister Catherine McKenna. She can get obnoxious. Remember this? You know, I actually gave him some real advice. I said that if you actually say it louder, we've learned in the House of Commons, if you repeat it, if you say it louder, if that is your talking point, people will totally believe it. So just go. But here's the thing about all those clips I just showed you. The first ones from Parliament are evidence of the truth told in the latter. This mantra of growing the economy and protecting the environment is one that's oft repeated, but it's not at all true. It's just said so many times in an effort to convince people of the lie. For example, did you know the government has never actually even bothered to test their hypothesis about growing the economy while also simultaneously imposing financially crushing climate policies? Though they keep saying it over and over and over and over. How do I know? Well, here's the proactive release from the government of Canada telling us they didn't bother to even wonder about how their bizarre climate policies like the carbon tax and the hike of the carbon tax and then this new coming emissions cap and the gender-based analysis plus shoehorned into resource project development as an added cost and hurdle to getting anything done. For context, though, a proactive release is publicly released data that someone else filed for, and after a specific amount of time has passed, it's released to everybody. Let's take a look at it. Organization, Department of Finance, year 2022, month May, request number, and then they list it there in case you're curious. Request summary, all records related to Canadian GDP, employment, productivity, and any potential impacts due to Canada's environmental commitments since 2019. Disposition, no records exist. Number of pages, zero. We know the government now didn't analyze because they know, as ideological as they are, that the facts would not support their weird mantra about the climate and the economy just going hand in hand into the sunset. They say it over and over, like a chant, like McKenna, confidently, as they know it to be a fact that they can test and test and test over and over again, but they didn't even test it once because they know the economy and the environment do not go hand in hand the way they say unless the two concepts are holding hands as they go careening off a cliff, Thelma and Louise style.
For Rebel News, I'm Sheila Gunreed.